Good morning. That's my way of saying, can you keep quiet now? <laughs> if you are online, want to welcome you and acknowledge you as well. We are going to go straight into the word. And um, last week, the notes that I gave, I hardly touched on it. So um, we're going to continue with it. But there's obviously more that I will be sharing, but I haven't given it out. We're going to continue to talk about impact. This is part four of the series, and we are talking about how to impact a soul in light. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and might. I pray, Father, that understanding will be released as we hear your word that will be empowered and transformed through the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our key text of scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So as a church, we are focusing on the theme of impact throughout this year, specifically to be salt and light. And we're saying that we want to impact a salt and light in three specific areas as disciples, in the community, and to the nations. And we said a lot about impact, and last week we began to talk about the fact that impact requires us to take the strong city. So a strong city, from the scriptures that we're going to be looking at, is a territory that is so positioned and governed that it is almost impossible for it to be taken or overruled by another. So we're using Psalm 60, verses 9 to 12, to reinforce the truth about impacting our salt and light. And look at how David, through these prayers, shows us how he took the strong city. So Psalm 60 from verse 9, it says, Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Eden? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? You, O God, who did not go out with our armies. Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. So the background of this psalm is that in David's day, Edom was the established cruel and proud enemy of Israel. It was a territory that was difficult to take because of where it was situated and because of the fact that it was surrounded by mountains and rocks. It was very strong and fortified, even by nature itself. So the territory itself was hard to take. And then the strong city, which is the capital of Edom, Petra, was so situated that it was like built on a rock. So... The way it was, it was almost impossible to even get to it. You could only get to it through two narrow lanes, and even those narrow roads were 
hard and treacherous to get to. The way that's how they built some of the cities, so that when you were there, you felt very secure. And the point is, is that this was a territory that God had commissioned his people to take through David. But it seemed impossible. In the same way for us today, as a church, if we look at where we are, not just in this area in terms of Grange, but in terms of the body of Christ in general. When you look at the body of Christ and the environment we find ourselves in, in the West in particular, is very, very anti-Christ and anti-Christian. And the values and the way in which our society is now being shaped makes it difficult to even promote the Christian faith. And then when you look at an immediate community like this, it seems almost impossible to really penetrate with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then contextually in our own lives, there are things that God would require of us to do. That when we look at our surroundings, it seems impossible. And that very thing that God wants us to do seems impregnable. It seems like it's not possible. But there are key principles in God's word, and they never change. That as you understand how God's kingdom operates, and you learn to embrace what God's word has to say to your life, you will discover the victory the same way that David did. So, last week we talked about how to take the strong city. We began, we focused on one area. I want to zoom through all five key components outlined in these verses from 9 to 12, and then I want to focus on one or two. So, the first thing we said is this. Taking any strong city, any stronghold of the enemy, begins with focusing on our Lord Jesus, on our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 10 when he asks the question, who would bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Eden? He answers it. Is it not you, O God? You begin anything that God calls you to do by focusing on the Lord Jesus. By focusing on him. And as a church, as we are seeking to impact, it always, always will boil down to how we are relating to him. Secondly, if you're going to take the strong city, break through in anything God has called you to, you must learn to acknowledge where you have gone wrong in the past, especially if you are experiencing delays, if you're experiencing challenges that you did not expect. In verse 10, he says, Is it not you, O God, who cast us off and you, O oh God, who did not go out with our armies. Now, it appears from this verse that previously they had tried to do something and it hadn't succeeded. They had tried to go and take the territory and they were unable to do so. Now, at times, God will call you to do something. In fact, many times, God calls you to do something and as you begin to engage on it, you hit a brick wall. Now, at times when this happens with people, they think, maybe I didn't hear God. Maybe I got it wrong. God will even at times say, by this time, such and such will happen. And then the time will come and pass and nothing happens. Now, some of our traditional evangelicals will say God never said it because it never happened. An example is 
is uh, Jeremiah's prophecy of 70 weeks. Um, 70, 70, uh, 70 years, sorry, not 70 weeks, 70 years in captivity. He gives this prophecy, and 70 years later, Daniel, studying the books, realizes the prophecy is up, and we're still in exile. And Daniel begins to fast and pray, and through his fasting and praying, many commentators say that's how Nehemiah and Ezra and Esther and these other strong characters and Mordecai were raised up, and through their ministry, Judah went back to its territory. An example is when God spoke to Abraham. He said, your descendants will be in a, a strange land, a foreign land, which was Egypt, for 400 years. And after that, I will bring them out. Well, 400 years came and went and nothing happened. Now, God spoke directly to Abraham that after 400 years, I will bring them out. But 400 years came and went and nothing happened. Why? You notice when you read Exodus chapter 1, you notice that when the children of Israel began to groan to the Lord, cry out to the Lord, then things began to happen. What am I saying to you? When God gives you a word, it's not fate accompli. Now, there are certain things that when God says, it will happen regardless. The Lord Jesus will return one day regardless. This present age will change one day regardless. But there are many things that God says and you look at scripture, that are conditional. So, the point I want to emphasize is this, is that God may have laid it on David's heart to do what he was doing. But as they went out, they were not succeeding. And so, he was able to acknowledge, and I want to dwell here today, we'll come back to it, where they had gone wrong. He said, God, you have cast us off. God, you have forsaken our armies. So when we went out, you went with us. Third point is this, which leads on to from, from that point. Invite God into your giving situation if you want to take a territory, if you want to make impact. Verse 11, he says, give us help from trouble. Recognize the trouble and then invite him in. Recognize the issue and then invite him in. Give us help from trouble. Four point. Surrender what you have to God if you want to take a territory. Look at what he says in verse 11, the second part. For the help of man is useless. When you want to do anything significant for God, regardless of your ability, your connections, the favor you have, you must recognize that the help of man is useless. You cannot be relying on human connections. Even as a pastor, I trust God completely in terms of the revival we believe in God for, regardless of who will buy in or who will not. Now, we want everyone to buy in. But at the end of the day, we have to look to God. Can you say amen? Whatever it is that you are believing God for in your life, the help of man is useless. It doesn't mean God does not use people. He does. God uses people all the time. But you don't rely on the people God uses. 
There will be people who will always tell you of their undying love today because everything is going well for you. And then when things begin to turn, suddenly they are nowhere to be found. <laughs> it's called life. So get over it. You know, if you, if, you, if you allow the disappointments you experience from others to govern how you relate to God and to the things of God, you will do nothing for God. Surrender what you have to God. If we have time, we'll touch on that as well. And then finally, take steps of obedience to him. Verse 12, through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. As you surrender what you have to him, he will begin to give you instructions. Specific instructions. Now, sometimes the instructions of God appear very ordinary. But they are just as authentic, the word of God, as God, as if the Lord Jesus himself was walking down and speaking. The steps of obedience that will be required of you are not necessarily the same that are required of me. Sometimes it's in a little thing, like Angela was talking about us confessing to God specific issues. And just the idea that I have to admit that this thing is wrong is hard. You'll be surprised how at times we don't want to admit that certain pleasures are wrong. But they are wrong for us. They may, they may not be wrong for everybody else. Somebody said, what's wrong with drinking a little bit of wine? After all, Paul said to Timothy, a little bit of wine for the stomach's sake. That was Timothy's stomach, not yours. Your stomach doesn't need it. <laughs> all right. So I want us to go back to some of these things now. Um, so, so let me just close on that point. In terms of specific steps of obedience, until you learn to obey the last instruction God gave to you, you are not ready to receive the next. That's how it is. It is simple, but it is so powerful. And certainly, having walked with the Lord all these years, it doesn't change how long you've been walking with God. In fact, the longer you've been walking with him, the more silent he becomes when you, if you are disobedient with the last instruction. You know, when you're young, you seem to hear God. You know, the Lord, they'll tell you, you know, this morning the Holy Spirit said this. And then as I was reading the Bible, he said that. And then as I went to take a bus, he says, don't take this bus. Wait, the next bus is coming. Hey, you are really moving. Ten years later, how is the revelation? I don't know. I, I don't seem to be hearing much. Because he doesn't need to tell you to take a bus anymore. You should know which bus you should be taking by now. Sometimes people say, God woke them up this morning. I say, hey, you are really powerful. You need God to be waking you up. Me, alarm clock. <laughs> That's the job. Now, we, all, we recognize our strength comes from God, but God did not wake you up this morning. God didn't wake you. Who, who here? God woke them up this morning. There might be one. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. So, so we said it begins with focusing on our great God and Savior. We've dealt with that. Now, I want to talk about acknowledging where you've gone wrong in the past. Because I think that this is one of the big hindrances 
for many people when it comes to their breakthrough, when it comes to moving forward in God. Like I said earlier on, for David and his men, God, David said, God, you have forsaken us in battle. You've cast us off. And the question I asked was, why? Now, he doesn't tell us why. But we know that David and his men, they weren't exactly the most um, uh, self-controlled, godly of people. I know we call David a man after God's own heart, but he was very violent. And one day some guy said, David sent some guy, some, some of his men to one guy called Nabal and said, listen, we've been looking after your flock, you know. Uh, all this time we didn't trouble them. Give us some food, some of your food and something. We're a bit hungry, a bit tired. The man said, why should I do that? Did I ask you to look after my family? I'm not giving you anything. After all, some fugitive being chased by some, the king. I don't want any more. Don't, no, you can't have anything. They said, eh, this is how you answer me. I'm going to kill you today. Kill you. And he was going to kill him. Suppose I decided to kill somebody because they didn't give me food. What, what would you think? And he needed Abigail to kind of calm him down. The point is, is this. David and his men did many things that were not right. Just because the Bible doesn't mention They did many things. For instance, sometimes you see some man who say, after all, David had four wives. So it is not a sin for me to have two. I'm only having two. No, the fact that he had four wives doesn't mean God approved. He, after all, David even had concubines. You know what concubines were? Formal mistresses. He had ten of them. He didn't marry them. Formal. So you are my formal sideshow. Ten. 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 But his son Solomon, he, he said, Dad, you don't know what you're doing. We need 300. After 700 wives, I mean, anyway, what I want to say is this. David knew God had cast them off. David knew God had forsaken them, but he was willing to address it. And sometimes when God calls you to do something and there is failure, see failure as an opportunity to address areas of weakness and strengthen your future endeavors. When you are trying to do things for God and you have found that they have not actually worked out or in your own life you are experiencing failure and disappointment. Maybe you were believing God for a child and then the child did not live. That's terrible. That's horrible. When we experience such things, all kinds of thoughts can go in our minds. Is it my sin? Is it because of something that we did in our past? I don't know. Sometimes it is not, it's none of that. Sometimes it could be that. I don't know. I honestly don't know. But what I do know is disappointments and failures are opportunities for us to come before God and examine, Lord, is there something in my life that you want to touch on? Failure is an opportunity. Say failure is an opportunity. It's not a definition of your life. Proverbs 24, 16, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. 
So a righteous man experiences failure, falls seven times, but they rise up. But the wicked, what happens to them? They fall by calamity. In other words, something bad happens to the wicked and it destroys them. But the righteous man, something bad happens, they rise up. That's the difference. At times, Christians think that because they are believers, they don't experience bad things. It's such a bad theology. It's such a wrong theology. Psalm 37, 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are all dead by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Though he fall. Now, these steps that God has ordered will even include failure. Or rather, may even include failure. He says, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. So, it means that the good man whose steps God has ordered, God has also factored that there are times when they will fall. But the failure does not define it. They will not be utterly cast down. Say, I will not be utterly cast down. Acknowledging your failure is a sign of strength, not weakness. Because everyone falls. Isaiah 40 30 says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Youth speaks of life, of strength. Young men speaks of vitality and purpose. It says, the young man shall utterly fall. Young men shall utterly fall. In other words, the strongest among us will utterly fall. Say to your neighbor, it's okay for you. Come on. Say to them, it's okay for you. So, the the fact that you have failed, the fact that there is failure, the fact that you went to do something for God, you tried to take the strong city and it didn't work, doesn't mean it's over. It's not over. Now, why does God cast us off quickly? I want to touch on a few of this. That word cast off, it, says, it, it, it has several implications. It means to reject, to forsake, to fail, to remove away from. So it's a very strong word. So when David said, it's not you, oh God, cast us off, he was really saying, God, you know, you've kind of taken us away. Now, before you start saying this is Old Testament, no, it is not Old Testament. It is kingdom. Yes, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is our helper. I will not fear what man can do. But the previous thing is, do not allow, don't be covetous. Don't allow your eye to desire what doesn't belong to you because he has promised he'll never leave you nor forsake you. The implication is, if you become covetous, you undermine his provision for your life. But let me just say this. There is a difference between how God deals with his disobedient children and how he deals with fruitful sons. Both on the surface at times looks the same. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is that sometimes the casting off of God on the surface, when God casts you, the obedient son, off and casts me, the disobedient son, off, when it looks like that, when you look at it, it looks the same. But the reasons why God does it are different. So, at times, we experience a casting of what I say, like as if God is rejecting us. 
because of blatant violation of God's word without us even realizing it. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6. I'll give you examples, just normal examples. Husbands not dwelling with their wives according to knowledge results in unanswered prayer. That's just a fact. This is New Testament, not old. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands dwell with your wives according to knowledge. And then he, he, he gives reasons because you're the same. You're the same in the kingdom. That you're, not over, you're not superior to your wife. You know, recognize her vulnerabilities, etc., etc., so that your prayers are not hindered. So all your praying, all your fasting, all your binding and loosing, if you're not dwelling with your wife in the New Testament, kingdom, New Testament, according to knowledge, your prayers are hindered. Are you still there? Or wives not submitted to their husband's authority. That also results in demonic access to the wife. You see, you didn't say amen to that one. First Corinthians 11.10 tells the wives to be undercover because of the angels. Why because of the angels? The good angels, if you're not undercover, they can't protect you. The fallen angels, if you're not undercover, they will have you. Just like the first woman was had when she went first instead of her husband. Are you still there online? Or I'll give you a, a classic example that we remind you of every week. Communion. When we take the communion without discerning the Lord's body, he tells us that we become vulnerable. Spiritually, we become weak. Physically, we become sick. And even it could create premature death. That is New Testament, beloved. That is the church. You see, because some Christians will say, oh, but we're under grace. Pastor Joe, what you're saying, it's as if, it's as if we're under some heavy law. No, it is because you are under grace. That is why these are there. You, you, you're, you're happy right now. I can see, I can tell. Or, or let me give you another one. Dishonoring parents. Which results in a lack of progress in this life. When you dishonor your parents. Ephesians 6, 1 and 3. He says, you know, children, obey your parents. In the Lord, blah, blah, blah. So that it will be well with you. And you will live long on the earth. In other words, if you live in a dishonorable, disobedient attitude towards your parents, it doesn't go well for you. Hmm. This is all New Testament, you know. I'm quoting New Testament scriptures so that you can't say Old Testament. This is new. Say to your neighbor, it's new, new, new. What I'm trying to emphasize to you is the point is this. At times we can be violating God's word and not realizing that because of how we are living our lives, we have allowed God's blessing to be cut off in areas that we should experience it. And at times we're using tools to do something that I have no power. We're fasting, we're praying, we're binding, we're losing, we're decreeing and declaring. And declaring, declaring. <laughs> And nothing is happening. Why? Because we are, we're not living in the kingdom. We're living in the flesh. 
So I'll give you one more example. Let's just move on. I've given you enough. Now, this is with believers who are innocently violating God's word. I'm not talking about the disobedient. But then we have, somebody will say that's from heaven. No, that's just a, <laughs> but then we have the disobedient who refuse to do what God tells them to. Now, in Psalm 66, verse 18 and 19, and I like this psalm, and it speaks to my heart a lot. It says this, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. So, if I regard iniquity, in other words, that word regard is literally, it means I approve of something that is wrong. It means I take on board something that is wrong. It means I make provision for that which is wrong. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You know, beloved, one of, one of our responsibilities is to remove the deception as a pastor. I, I don't know about you. I think I do know about you. I fear God, and I think you fear God. Amen? We have to fear God. We have to fear God. We have to, we have to want to please God. It's not about making a name for ourselves. It's not about doing, it's not even about doing well in this life. It's not even about, for me anyway, it's not even about having a legacy in this life. It's not for me, it's not even about that. It's having a legacy before God. Yeah. It's being famous before the throne. It's being somebody that when I come before the Father, he's happy to hear my voice. Because his grace is working. May that be your testimony in Jesus' name. So whatever the issue is, we have a responsibility to find out if we wish to take the strong city and possess the territory that God has for us in our lives. And the best way is to do what he says in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So, it's that simple. Just reason with him. Talk to the Lord about the issue. Acknowledge, you know, this is where I'm going wrong. At times I'll tell him, you know, Dad, we know, we both know, I want to do this thing. We both know it. We both know I'm going to do this thing. But we also both know that I shouldn't do this thing. So how do we come out of this quagmire? There's a word for it. Who knows what that word is? Help. That's the word. I say, help me. I'm not going to lie to myself. And what amazes me is the fact that I actually begin to change. That's what amazes me. The fact that I actually begin to change. Once I invite me, the battle is inviting God. The battle is inviting God. It's being able to say, okay, this is my pet project. This is my pet something. This is the thing that I enjoy. This is my 
my little castle, this is my little haven. You know, some people, their haven is having a glass, a few glasses of wine every night. If you're on the internet, you might be one of those. And, you know, there's a lot of wine talk today. I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, their, it's their escape. And you have, you've escaped, all right. <laughs> but you know it's not good for you. How I many of you know what we're talking about here? Hmm, look at you. Look at the way you answered me. Do the rest of you just like, I don't drink alcohol, so I'm free. It's not just alcohol, it's anything. It's anything. Now, just before we leave this point, I want to talk about the pruning process because there is a difference between how God deals with disobedient children, children who are violating his word, and children who are living for him and are being fruitful, but they need pruning. And sometimes the pruning process looks like a casting off. You see, when God is dealing with his beloved sons, and when I say sons, I mean both male and female, he delays in responding to them through the pruning process. So with a disobedient son, he will not even listen to them. But with a obedient son that he's pruning, they pray about something and he delays. So it looks like he's not answering. Are you listening? John 15, 2, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He prunes. And remember we said about pruning. Pruning hurts because you lose things. Things are cut off from your life that are precious to you. Now, James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. So, listen to what he's saying. He said, refer to the Old Testament if you want to learn about how to deal with suffering and how to be patient in the things of God. Are you listening? 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. And you have heard of the perseverance of Job. With the last uh, 10 minutes that I have, I'm going to wrap this up. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, Job was an obedient son who went through a very challenging pruning process. But when you look at what Job was going through, it looked like a casting off. But it was a pruning process. Because in the end, he, he, he produced double of what he had before, and his revelation of God increased. So with a submitted son, God delays until they learn a greater level of obedience through suffering. Now listen, the ways of the kingdom are not nice to the flesh. So when God is dealing with us, God at times uses suffering. Suffering as, in fact, he often, in fact, for sons, God uses suffering for them to learn how to obey him better. Not blessings. God doesn't use blessings to get his children to obey him. No. That's called bribery. 
That's not how God does it. I'll give you the scriptures so that you know we're talking. I'll give you a New Testament scripture. How about that? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 8. Talking about Lord Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries, and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Let's stay here. And was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Are you learning obedience through suffering or disobedience? Are you, is your heart becoming more tenderized to God through the difficulties you're going through that are not your fault? That is not because of your sin, not because you've been doing something, but because you're trying to please God, it's getting harder for you. Look at the Lord Jesus. In the days of his flesh, he offered tears and strong crying. That, there's a word for it. It's called frustration. Jesus at times was so frustrated with what he was facing that the only response he could give to the Father is crying and tears. That's the way of the cross, beloved. That's the way of the kingdom. That's not the way of popular Christianity. But it's the way of the kingdom. And it's how you take strongholds. It's how you take territories. When you learn to allow God to examine your heart, when you learn to allow God to take you through the process of pruning as a son, as a child of God, that is how you grow in grace, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Can you say amen, somebody? I'm going to conclude with this verse. Maybe. Because <laughs> I said, I wanted to dwell with this examination, uh, this issue of um, acknowledging what we've gone wrong. The way you learn to do this as a lifestyle is you live before him daily in self-examination. Before him, every day, you allow God to examine your heart. And it's not easy. You know, we, we at times, we only want to tell God about, God, I love you. God, you know my heart. We say things like, God, you know my heart. So in other words, give me, give me a break, God. You know my heart. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Hey, today you are very responsive. <laughs> God, you know my heart. You know I didn't really mean when I said that swear word. I didn't really mean it. You know I'm just a human being. Stop saying that. Start saying, God, you know my heart. You know how rebellious I can be at times. Tell him the truth. <laughs> Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. In other words, test me out and show me the things that get me wound up. Ha! What a prayer. Try me so that you can expose me. That's what he's saying, you know. You know, you read this, you sing the song, Search me, O God. And know my heart today. Sounds really good. Try me and know. I don't remember the rest. It sounds really good. But actually he's saying, 
know my anxieties. In other words, expose me, the things that wind me up. Because I'm not even, I'm not even aware of what winds me up. 24, and see if there is any wicked way in me. Because I, I don't even know. I think I'm cool. I think I'm okay. I mean, you, at times you really think you're okay. Hallelujah. Look at you today. I mean, if you at times you, you know, as for this time, we've conquered, we're moving forward. Come on, be honest. We, 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 we feel, you know, you know, we went through a hard time in, in 2016, but 2017 was much better. I mean, if you, that was your testimony. Okay, no. You didn't leap in 2017, did you? Okay, okay. He says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Listen, self-examination at times is painful, but it's so necessary. But even at times after you've been examining yourself for many years, sometimes you can become blindsided. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves, Paul says, as to whether you are in the faith. What? What do you mean? I'm saved already. What do you mean examine myself as to whether I'm in the faith? I'm already in the faith. Test yourselves. Oh, what? Test myself. What? Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you're disqualified? In other words, the way you test yourself is by lining up with Jesus. See if your actions line up with Jesus. That's how you test yourself. Not, not with your, don't test yourself with your past. And please, don't test yourself with your pastor as well. You know, I'm doing better than Pastor Joe. This week, I've logged in all the online prayers. I haven't seen him log in one. I'm definitely doing better. No, don't examine yourself with Pastor Joe. Because you don't know. Maybe I was in heaven. <laughs> no, I wasn't in heaven at all. Examine yourself as to whether you're in the faith. Listen, you didn't get saved to make friends in church. It's, it's a bonus. It's a bonus. You didn't get saved because you wanted to be in a family of believers. That is a bonus. Are you listening to me? You see, at times, people allow certain things to undermine their faith. That is completely stupid. Why would you, like, like, you didn't get saved to make money. It's like a pastor going into the ministry because they want to make money. That is stupid. Don't, no, I beg you for your own soul's sake. Because there's a lot of money you can make in ministry that will destroy your soul. There's a lot of money that comes in. So if it's because of money, just divert the funds. Uh, counting change. That bank account should be over there. What are you talking about? Counting team, when you finish my office, put the things there. Half it always. Every that's the that's the that's the every every week. Half it. That's the law of CLF. Half it. Half in the office upstairs, half in the office downstairs. It will destroy your soul. And it has destroyed many. No, no, no. Say to your neighbor, I got saved because of Jesus. Say to your neighbor, I got saved because of Jesus. So, 
I'm going to now end with this verse, I think. I am ending with this verse. 1 John 1, verses 8 to 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Beloved, whatever the stronghold, whatever the impact you want to make, learn to begin with Jesus and to continue by acknowledging where you are at, where you've gone wrong, where you need to address, what you need to address, how you move forward. That is one of the big keys that has helped me in my journey. Because I can tell you this, when I started walking with the Lord, I didn't think I'll last two years. I didn't think I'll last two years. That is what has helped me and Aish in our marriage. This year we are celebrating 25 years in, in September. In September, we're entering our 25th year. I didn't, I didn't think before I was saved that, that I could even be married for, well, well first of all, if anyone would even be interested in marriage, that's the first thing. And then secondly, that I could even last for three, five years. The other day, and I'm going to open up in this area because I want to emphasize what I've been teaching. The other day, because I've been asking the Lord, is there anything? Is there anything that I've been doing? Because this sick thing that's been happening, I don't understand it. Is there anything? So there's a few things that the Lord is highlighting, and you know, you've heard me say them, but I still wasn't. I, I addressed them all, so I didn't know what else is there. What else is there? So the other day, she said to me, you know, I was talking to the Lord about this, and uh, of late, you've been quite difficult. But I thought maybe it's because you've been tired. And it's like, it's almost like how you used to be when we got married. <gasps> and I said, oh, that explains it. Thank you. Okay, I'm really sorry. I didn't know. I passed the test. Because she thought I was going to say, eh, and you have been also very difficult. Mate, I'm currently thinking like I have to sort myself out. So, that explains it. I'm really sorry. I didn't know. Because I thought I was a model husband. I thought I was doing really well. I thought I was a model husband. Model. I'm not talking about features now. I'm talking about in the spirit. <laughs> and so I thought, I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Say to your neighbor, he didn't know. Yeah, all my teaching, all my revelation, all my preaching, all my spiritual insight, my own wife, I didn't even know. I was being a grog, grumpa lump, horrid, odd person. I didn't know. So it happens. That, and, and I walked before God in self-examination, but I still needed her to tell me because I didn't know. So I want to encourage you, if you don't know, let God search you. Amen. He will send somebody to let you know. 
All right, let's bow our heads once again. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Those of you online, I want to encourage you. You are so precious to the Lord. Not because you're online, all right? We're all precious, I'm just saying. Those of you online, you're precious. And those of you here, you're just as precious. But you're so precious to the Lord that whatever the failure, whatever the disappointment, whatever the issues have been, you have another opportunity today to acknowledge where you've gone wrong as you seek to take the territory God has for you, as you seek to make the impact God wants you to have this year. So we're going to pray into this area, and if you, before God, acknowledge an area that you are yielding to him right now, then just stand where you are. I'm just going to pray with you, ask for grace upon your life before I hand over to Angela. So as you stand, just raise your hands to him. Those of you online, again, just respond to him as is appropriate, if you can. Close your hands, raise your hands to him. If you're listening audio, through audio, same, if you can. And just bring the area before the Lord right now as you stand before him. And tell him, Father, this is the area I acknowledge where I have gone wrong. Father, thank you for your word and the way in which you speak to us and you change us through your word. As these precious ones are standing, I ask for grace upon their lives today. Strength upon their hearts. Lord, that they will be able to address with you the areas that you are highlighting. Let them know your mercy. Let them know your grace in the precious name of Jesus. And Father, I also pray for every one of us in this room and those listening via audio and watching online, that your grace would be upon our lives as we seek to honor you and to take the territory and make the impact you have for us this year. Help us to always focus on you, Lord Jesus. Help us to always acknowledge you, Lord. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. Wow, what a word. And you can also listen to that again.